Chapter Nine of Cabbages and Kings by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eric Metzler. The Flag Paramount. At the head of the insurgent party appeared that Hector and learned Theban of the Southern Republics, Don Sabas Placido, a traveller, a soldier, a poet, a scientist, a statesman, and a connoisseur. The wonder was that he could content himself with the petty, remote life of his native country. "'It is a whim of Placido's,' said a friend who knew him well, to take up political intrigue. It is not otherwise, then, as if he had come upon a new tempo in music, a new bacillus in the air, a new scent, or rhyme, or explosive. He will squeeze this revolution dry of sensations, and a week afterward will forget it, skimming the seas of the world in his brigantine to add to his already world-famous collections. Collections of what? Por Dios! Of everything from postage stamps to prehistoric stone idols. But, for a mere dilettante, the aesthetic Placido seemed to be creating a lively row. The people admired him. They were fascinated by his brilliancy and flattered by his taking an interest in so small a thing as his native country. They rallied to the call of his lieutenants in the capital, where, somewhat contrary to arrangements, the army remained faithful to the government. There was also lively skirmishing in the coast towns. It was rumored that the revolution was aided by the Vesuvius Fruit Company, the power that forever stood with chiding smile and uplifted finger to keep Anchuria in the class of good children. Two of its steamers, the Traveller and the Salvador, were known to have conveyed insurgent troops from point to point along the coast. As yet there had been no actual uprising in Corralio. Military law prevailed, and the ferment was bottled for the time. And then came the word that everywhere the revolutionists were encountering defeat. In the capital the president's forces triumphed, and there was a rumor that the leaders of the revolt had been forced to fly, hotly pursued. In the little telegraph office at Corralio there was always a gathering of officials and loyal citizens, awaiting news from the seat of government. One morning the telegraph key began clicking, and presently the operator called loudly, one telegram for el almirante don senor felipe carrera there was a shuffling sound a great rattling of tin scabbard and the admiral prompt at his spot of waiting leapt across the room to receive it the message was handed to him slowly spelling it out he found it to be his first official order thus running proceed immediately with your vessel to mouth of rio ruiz transport beef and provisions to barracks at alforan martinez general small glory to be sure in this his country's first call but it had called and joy surged in the admiral's breast he drew his cutlass belt to another buckle-hole roused his dozing crew and in a quarter of an hour el nacional was tacking swiftly down coast in a swift landward breeze the rio ruiz is a small river emptying into the sea ten miles below Corralio. That portion of the coast is wild and solitary. Through a gorge in the Cordilleras rushes the Rio Ruiz, cold and bubbling, to glide at last, with breadth and leisure, through an alluvial morass into the sea. In two hours El Nacional entered the river's mouth. The banks were crowded with a disposition of formidable trees. 
the sumptuous undergrowth of the tropics overflowed the land and drowned itself in the fallow waters silently the sloop entered there and met a deeper silence brilliant with greens and ochres and floral scarlets the umbrageous mouth of the rio ruiz furnished no sound or movement save of the sea-going water as it purled against the prow of the vessel small chance there seemed of resting beef or provisions from that empty solitude the admiral decided to cast anchor and at the chain's rattle the forest was stimulated to instant and resounding uproar the mouth of the rio ruiz had only been taking a morning nap parrots and baboons screeched and barked in the trees a whirring and a hissing and a booming marked the awakening of animal life a dark blue bulk was visible for an instant as a startled tapir fought his way through the vines the navy under orders hung in the mouth of the little river for hours the crew served the dinner of shark's fin soup plantains crab gumbo and sour wine the admiral with a three-foot telescope closely scanned the impervious foliage fifty yards away it was nearly sunset when a reverberating hallo came from the forest to their left it was answered and three men mounted upon mules crashed through the tropic tangle to within a dozen yards of the river's bank there they dismounted and one unbuckling his belt struck each mule a violent blow with his sword scabbard so that they with a fling of heels dashed back again into the forest those were strange-looking men to be conveying beef and provisions one was a large and exceedingly active man of striking presence he was of the purest spanish type with curling gray besprinkled dark hair blue sparkling eyes and the pronounced air of a caballero grande the other two were small brown-faced men wearing white military uniforms high riding boots and swords the clothes of all were drenched bespattered and rent by the thicket some stress of circumstance must have driven them diable a quatre through flood mire and jungle oh hey senor almirante called the large man send to us your boat the dory was lowered and felipe with one of the caribs rowed toward the left bank the large man stood near the water's brink waist-deep in the curling vines as he gazed upon the scarecrow figure in the stern of the dory a sprightly interest beamed upon his mobile face months of wageless and thankless service had dimmed the admiral's splendor his red trousers were patched and ragged most of the bright buttons and yellow braid were gone from his jacket the visor of his cap was torn and depended almost to his eyes the admiral's feet were bare dear admiral cried the large man and his voice was like a blast from a horn i kiss your hands i knew we could build upon your fidelity you had our dispatch from general martinez a little nearer with your boat dear admiral upon these devils of shifting vines we stand with the smallest security felipe regarded him with a stolid face provisions and beef for the barracks at alfaran he quoted no fault of the butchers almirante mio that the beef awaits you not but you are come in time to save the cattle get us aboard your vessel senor at once you first caballeros apriesa come back for me the boat is too small the dory conveyed the two officers to the sloop and returned for the large man have you so gross a thing as food good admiral he cried when aboard and perhaps coffee 
beef and provisions, nombre de Dios, a little longer and we could have eaten one of those mules that you, Colonel Raphael, saluted so feelingly with your sword scabbard at parting. Let us have food, and then we will sail. For the barracks at Alfaran, no? The Caribs prepared a meal, to which the three passengers of El Nacional set themselves with famished delight. About sunset, as was its custom, the breeze veered and swept back from the mountains, cool and steady, bringing a taste of the stagnant lagoons and mangrove swamps that guttered the lowlands. The mainsail of the sloop was hoisted and swelled to it, and at that moment they heard shouts and a waxing clamor from the bosky profundities of the shore. "'The butchers, my dear Admiral,' said the large man, smiling, "'too late for the slaughter.' Further than his orders to his crew, the Admiral was saying nothing. The topsail and jib were spread, and the sloop glided out of the estuary. The large man and his companions had bestowed themselves with what comfort they could about the bare deck. Belike the thing big in their minds had been their departure from that critical shore, and now that the hazard was so far reduced, their thoughts were loosed to the consideration of further deliverance. But when they saw the sloop turn and fly up coast again they relaxed, satisfied with the course the admiral had taken. The large man sat at ease, his spirited blue eye engaged in the contemplation of the navy's commander. He was trying to estimate this sombre and fantastic lad, whose impenetrable stolidity puzzled him. Himself a fugitive, his life sought, and chafing under the smart of defeat and failure, it was characteristic of him to transfer instantly his interest to the study of a thing new to him. It was like him, too, to have conceived and risked all upon this last desperate and madcap scheme, this message to a poor, crazed, fanatical cruising about with his grotesque uniform and his farcical title. But his companions had been at their wits' end. Escape had seemed incredible, and now he was pleased with the success of the plan they had called cracked-brained and precarious. The brief tropic twilight seemed to slide swiftly into the pearly splendor of a moonlit night, and now the lights of Corradio appeared, distributed against the darkening shore to their right. The admiral stood silent at the tiller. The Caribs, like black panthers, held the sheets, leaping noiselessly at his short commands. The three passengers were watching intently the sea before them, and when at last they came in sight of the bulk of a steamer lying a mile out from the town, with her lights radiating deep into the water, they held a sudden voluble and close-headed converse. The sloop was speeding as if to strike midway between ship and shore. The large man suddenly separated from his companions and approached the scarecrow at the helm. "'My dear Admiral,' he said, "'the government has been exceedingly remiss.' I feel all the shame for it that only its ignorance of your devoted service has prevented it from sustaining. An inexcusable oversight has been made. A vessel, a uniform, and a crew worthy of your fidelity shall be furnished you. But just now, dear Admiral, there is business of moment afoot. The steamer lying there is the Salvador. I and my friends desire to be conveyed to her, where we are sent on the government's business. Do us the favor to shape your course accordingly." Without replying, the admiral gave a sharp command, and put the tiller hard to port. El Nacional swerved, and headed straight as an arrow's course for the shore. "'Do me the favor,' said the large man, a trifle restively, "'to acknowledge at least that you catch the sound of my words.' It was possible that the fellow might be lacking in senses as well as intellect. The admiral emitted a croaking, harsh laugh, and spake. "'They will stand you.' 
he said, with your face to a wall and shoot you dead. That is the way they kill traitors. I knew you when you stepped into my boat. I have seen your picture in a book. You are Sabas Placido, traitor to your country. With your face to a wall, so you will die. I am the admiral, and I will take you to them. With your face to a wall, yes. Don Sabas half turned and waved his hand with a ringing laugh towards his fellow fugitives. To you, caballeros, I have related the history of that session when we issued that oh-so-ridiculous commission. Of a truth our jest has been turned against us. Behold the Frankenstein's monster we have created. Don Sabas glanced toward the shore. The lights of Coralio were drawing near. He could see the beach, the warehouse of the Bodega Nacional, the long low quartel occupied by the soldiers, and behind that, gleaming in the moonlight, a stretch of high adobe wall. He had seen men stood with their faces to that wall and shot dead. Again he addressed the extravagant figure at the helm. "'It is true,' he said, "'that I am fleeing the country, but receive the assurance that I care very little for that. Courts and camps everywhere are open to Sabas Placido. Vaya! What is this molehill of a republic, this pig's head of a country, to a man like me? I am a paisano of everywhere.' In Rome, in London, in Paris, in Vienna, you will hear them say, Welcome back, Don Sabas. Come, Tonto, baboon of a boy, admiral, whatever you call yourself, turn your boat, put us on board the Salvador, and here's your pay, five hundred pesos in money of the Estados Unidos, more than your lying government will pay you in twenty years. Don Sabas pressed a plump purse against the youth's hand. The admiral gave no heed to the words or the movement. Braced against the helm, he was holding the sloop dead on her shoreward course. His dull face was lit almost to intelligence by some inward conceit that seemed to afford him joy, and found utterance in another parrot-like cackle. "'That is why they do it,' he said, "'so that you will not see the guns. They fire, oom, and you fall dead, with your face to the wall, yes.' The admiral called a sudden order to his crew. The lithe, silent Caribs made fast the sheets they held, and slipped down the hatchway into the hold of the sloop. When the last one had disappeared, Don Savas, like a big brown leopard, leapt forward, closed and fastened the hatch, and stood, smiling. "'No rifles, if you please, dear admiral,' he said. "'It was a whimsy of mine once to compile a dictionary of the Carib lengua. So I understood your order. Perhaps now you will.' He cut short his words, for he heard the dull swish of iron scraping along tin. The admiral had drawn the cutlass of Pedro Lafitte, and was darting upon him. The blade descended, and it was only by a display of surprising agility that the large man escaped, with only a bruised shoulder, the glancing weapon. He was drawing his pistol as he sprang, and the next instant he shot the admiral down. Don Sabas stooped over him, and rose again. In the heart he said briefly, Senores, the navy is abolished. Colonel Raphael sprang to the helm, and the other officer hastened to loose the mainsail sheets. The boom swung round. El Nacional veered and began to tack industriously for the Salvador. Strike that flag, senor, called Colonel Raphael. Our friends on the steamer will wonder why we are sailing under it. Well said, cried Don Savas. Advancing to the mast, he lowered the flag to the deck where lay its too loyal supporter. Thus ended the Minister of War's little piece of after-dinner drollery, and by the same hand that began it.
Suddenly Don Sabas gave a great cry of joy and ran down the slanting deck to the side of Colonel Rafael. Across his arm he carried the flag of the extinguished navy. Mire, mire, senor. Adios. Already I can hear that great bear of an Ostriker shout. Du hast mein Herz gebrochen. Mire, of my friend Herr Grunitz, of Vienna, you have heard me relate. That man has travelled to Ceylon for an orchid, to Patagonia for a headdress, to Benares for a slipper, to Mozambique for a spearhead to add to his famous collections. Thou knowest also, amigo Raphael, that I have been a gatherer of curios. My collection of battle-flags of the world's navies was the most complete in existence until last year. Then Herr Grunitz secured two, oh, such rare specimens, one of a Barbary state, and one of the Makarurus, a tribe on the west coast of Africa. I have not those, but they can be procured. But this flag, senor, do you know what it is? Name of God, do you know? See that red cross upon the blue and white ground? You never saw it before? Seguramente no. It is the naval flag of your country. Mire, this rotten tub we stand upon is its navy. That dead cockatoo lying there was its commander. That stroke of cutlass and single pistol-shot a sea-battle. All a piece of absurd foolery, I grant you, but authentic. There has never been another flag like this, and there never will be another. No, it is unique in the whole world. Yes, think of what that means to a collector of flags. Do you know, Coronel Mio, how many golden crowns Herr Grunitz would give for this flag? Ten thousand, likely. Well, a hundred thousand would not buy it. Beautiful flag, only flag. Little devil of a most heaven-born flag. Oh, hey, old grumbler beyond the ocean. Wait till Don Sabas comes again to the Königinstrasse. He will let you kneel and touch the folds of it with one finger. Oh, hey, old spectacled ransacker of the world. Forgotten was the impotent revolution, the danger, the loss, the gall of defeat. Possessed solely by the inordinate and unparalleled passion of the collector, he strode up and down the little deck, clasping to his breast with one hand the paragon of a flag. He snapped his fingers triumphantly toward the east. He shouted the paean to his prize in trumpet tones, as though he would make old Grunitz here in his musty den beyond the sea. They were waiting on the Salvador to welcome them. The sloop came close alongside the steamer where her sides were sliced almost to the laurel deck for the loading of fruit. The sailors of the Salvador grappled and held her there. Captain MacLeod leaned over the side. "'Well, senor, the jig is up, I'm told.' "'The jig is up?' Don Sabas looked perplexed for a moment. "'That revolution! Ah, yes!' With a shrug of his shoulders he dismissed the matter. The captain learned of the escape in the imprisoned crew. "'Caribs,' he said, "'no harm in them.' He slipped down into the sloop and kicked loose the hasp of the hatch. The blackfellows came tumbling up, sweating but grinning. "'Hey, black boys,' said the captain, in a dialect of his own, "'you sabe, catch a boat and vamos back same place quick.' They saw him point to themselves, the sloop, and Coralio. "'Yas, yas!' they cried, with broader grins and many nods. The four, Don Sabas, the two officers, and the captain, moved to quit the sloop. Don Sabas lagged a little behind, looking at the still form of the late admiral, sprawled in his paltry trappings. Pobrecito loco, he said softly. He was a brilliant cosmopolite and a cognoscente of high rank, 
but after all he was of the same race and blood and instinct as this people even as the simple paisanos of coralio had said it so said don sabas without a smile he looked and said the poor little crazed one stooping he raised the limp shoulders drew the priceless and induplicable flag under them and over the breast pinning it there with the diamond star of the order of san carlos that he took from the collar of his own coat he followed after the others and stood with them upon the deck of the salvador the sailors that steadied el nacional shoved her off the jabbering caribs hauled away at the rigging the sloop headed for the shore and herr grunitz's collection of naval flags was still the finest in the world end of chapter nine recording by eric metzler albuquerque new mexico united states of america